can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Hey guys, this is Rudy Stankwitz, and it is Thursday. And on Thursday on the Talking Pools podcast, we talk about CPO things, thus the name, CPO Thursdays. I have some news to announce before we jump into it. I am going to be doing a world tour. Okay, not a world tour, but I'm going to be at several trade shows coming up in the near future. And for me, this is a great opportunity to meet you, the folks that listen to the podcast, I would love it if you could come to the show. I would like to be able to say hello and to thank you for tuning in and listening to us. Shake your hand. Maybe we could grab a cup of coffee after my presentations because I do have a couple of presentations going on. October 5th, Aqua Live. The following week, Houston, Texas, that's October 12th through 14th, October 12th through 14th, I will be the keynote speaker at the World Aquatic Health Conference. February 12th, Colorado Springs, Colorado, I will be at the AOAP, that's the Association of Aquatic Professionals Conference. Come on down. Come see me. Come say hello again. I want to meet the folks that listen to the podcast. Right now, jump back into the CPO end of things. If you need a CPO certification, if you know somebody who needs a CPO certification, Hit up my website, cpoclass.com. Click on the schedule registration page. There you will pull up a list of all of my classes, both in person and virtual. That's right. You can take a CPO class with me from anywhere in the world that you can get an internet connection. Check it out there. If you want to practice and increase your skills before heading into a CPO class, doesn't matter who the instructor is, hit that same website, cpoclass.com. Go to the tab that says CPO practice test. There you will find a whole slew of prep materials, everything from flashcards to a practice test, a couple of things that you can download. There's some few, uh, few classes there. Some are free, some are at a fee, but it's a nominal fee, and you can check those out. Right now, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. You do the same. Let's meet back here in in a couple of minutes, and we will jump right into chemical feed and control systems. Now that's what I'm talking about. A little bit of blues with your coffee. And now it's straight into chemical feed and control. This is huge. Gotta have it. Just gotta have it. I mean, seriously, is there anybody out there right now that's operating a pool without some type of chemical feed system on it? Because if you are, that's not going to meet any public health department code. 
not for chlorine, not for your disinfectants, not for your pH adjusters. You are not permitted with a commercial pool to feed chemicals in by hand. You're just not allowed. Not those chemicals anyway. We have to have a feed system or some type of controller in place. As far as the other chemicals go, yeah, you can absolutely dose bicarb or soda ash by hand. You can add your algicides or your specialty chemicals by hand. No problem. What we're talking about here are your disinfectants and your pH adjusters. You have to have some type of a chlorine feed. You have to have some type of a acid feed or whatever you need for whatever specific issue you have. You can't dose those by hand. The other things, like I said, you can dose by hand, but you got to wait an hour after you put the chemical in before you can open the pool for people to swim. It has to have time to circulate a little bit. So that makes the best time to test pool water an hour before the facility. Oh, if you get to the pool an hour beforehand, test the water, see that you need to add something, you can add it, wait the hour, and then not have to delay the opening. Pro, somebody who's in the industry, they sent me a video. They're sitting there and they're watching as a lifeguard takes a jug of muriatic acid while people are swimming in this commercial pool. Well, they're actually playing and things like that. But anyway, people in the pool and the lifeguard walks right by, right down the side of the pool, right in front of the gutters, pours the acid directly into the water. Now, I got a lot of backlash on TikTok because it was a white jug. And apparently there's a lot of people out there who have never seen a white jug jug for muriatic acid. But trust me, there are white jugs, there are clear jugs, this was a white jug, and I know for a fact it was muriatic acid because the pool pro that was on site stopped filming and went as soon as they noticed what exactly it was they were adding and stopped the lifeguard from adding more. They were about to grab another jug. So yeah, so that's on my TikTok. And yes, there are white jugs for muriatic acid. Everybody wanted to say that it was liquid chlorine, rather, and liquid chlorine. Guess what? You can't add that either. You have to have a chemical feed system. That's the point. So major lifeguard fail on that one. Use 65 troll comments. Oh, my God. It's a jug of muriatic acid. Anyway, you'll have to take a look at it if you want to see. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to jump back into the chemical feed systems, but it is in line with what we spoke about. One of the other things that I want to touch upon, and I spoke about it in one of my other podcasts, is the need to electrically interlock the system. So I want to touch base on that as well. This broadcast we are about to share was created by the American Chemistry Council Chlorine Panel in 2018. Each year, dozens of visitors to aquatic facilities are accidentally exposed to unintentionally produced chlorine gas. These exposures result from a failure of the electrical interlock between the chemical feed equipment, usually involving acid and sodium hypochlorite bleach, and the water circulation pump. This video, link in the show notes for both English and Spanish, presents steps that aquatic staff can take to reduce the risk of these exposures. Aquatic venues are fun but complex systems. They're a delicate balance of lifeguards, water, sunscreen, pool treatment equipment, and chemicals. When the operation is running smoothly and effectively, the behind-the-scenes systems are rarely a thought, until they fail. A malfunction is to blame for a chlorine leak after several people were sickened. Several ambulances were called around noon on Saturday after several people reported difficulty breathing. And the effects can be serious. 
We ended up transporting 35 patients away from the scene after decontaminating them. The sickest of them had difficulty breathing and were vomiting. The chemicals involved were muriatic acid and chlorine. There was an accident that occurred. Somehow the muriatic acid and chlorine, undiluted, got mixed together inside the pump room. It created a visible yellow cloud and that drifted across the pool deck. What that can do is cause the lungs to start leaking fluid and fill the lungs up with that <laughs> fluid and you end up drowning in your own fluid. Pools of all sizes are complex systems of pipes, pumps, filters, and injectors. Water must be clean, free of debris, and chemically treated to make it safe for swimmers. And it must be constantly flowing through the system in order for the treatment to work. Most times, minor problems pose no serious risk, like if the pH is slightly off or if there's minor debris in the pool. But when there's a problem with the critical process of circulation and chemical injection, the risk to swimmers can become life-threatening. Here's how it's supposed to work. Pool water is constantly circulated by a pump. The water is filtered and a chlorine-based disinfectant and acid are added to make the pool water sanitary. As long as water continues to circulate, there is no cause for concern. In the incidents shown at the beginning of this program, something went wrong. Remember that the system is safe as long as water is circulating. If circulation stops, but the chemicals continue to be injected, serious problems can occur. Chlorine-based disinfectants and acid react to produce chlorine gas. When the circulation pump is off and the chemical feeders continue to pump, dangerous levels of chlorine gas can build up in the pipes. When circulation resumes, the gas is pushed out of the pipes and into the pool, endangering people in and around the pool. To protect people, chemical feeders should automatically shut off when there is no water flow in the circulation system at the point of chemical injection. In order for this automatic shutdown to work, all components should be electrically interlocked together so they function as one system. There are essentially two ways to electrically interlock a system, either conceptually through circuit breaker design or directly through the use of a master electrical interlock box, also referred to as a safety switch. It's important to note that basic interlock designs only react to electrical incidents, such as loss of power, and not to an inherent loss of flow, which might be caused by something else. The basic level of interlock protection is to ensure electrical connections to the circulation pump and the chemical controller or feeders are on the same circuit. If the circuit powering the pump is tripped, power to the chemical feeders is also lost and chlorine-based disinfectants and acid will not be injected. A more advanced level of interlock protection would be to incorporate a flow or float switch in the sample stream of the chemical controller. When the sample stream loses flow, the switch signals the controller to stop the chemical feed. However, this method is dependent upon where the sample stream is installed in the circulation system. 
The highest level of protection is to incorporate an interlock box or safety switch that monitors and controls the circulation pump and the chemical feeders from the point of injection. The individual components are truly interlocked or dependent upon each other for proper operation. For example, if the circulation pump stops, the interlock automatically shuts the chemical feeders down. So if these systems are designed to protect people in the event of a failure, why do people get hurt? The answer is simple, mechanical failure or human factors. A flow switch could fail and send a false indication of water flow when there is none and the chemical injectors would still feed chlorine disinfectant and acid into the system. Additionally, a maintenance operator can bypass these safety methods by plugging the chemical feeders into another circuit. As shown in this video, many incidents occur as a result of human error that led to a situation that endangered swimmers. These incidents arise not out of maliciousness, but from a desire to keep the pool open. Unfortunately, they may have acted without an understanding of the consequences of their actions. The more barriers in place, the less likely all are able to fail or be bypassed at the same time. First and foremost, the aquatic venue should be closed and all bathers removed from the pool and deck anytime there is maintenance work to be performed on the circulation and chemical systems. The pool and deck area should be cleared immediately anytime a flow sensor detects no flow in the system or when there is an unexpected or manual deactivation of the circulation pump or when the interlock system is activated, indicating a problem with the flow system. Bathers should not be allowed back into the aquatic venue until the cause of the interruption is understood and the condition is corrected. The system should operate correctly for at least five minutes and the water tested to ensure proper pH and free chlorine levels before allowing bathers into the pool and deck areas. The circulation and chemical feeder system, as well as the electrical interlock system, should be working properly. The safety switch system and the electrical interlock should be installed and maintained according to the manufacturer's instructions. It should not be modified or bypassed in any way. You should not use an alternate source of electrical power to the feeders. This defeats the purpose of the interlock. An alarm or other indicator should be activated whenever the chemical feeder is disabled through the safety switch or electrical interlock system to alert staff to evacuate the pool area. An initial challenge test should be conducted upon installation of the system and regular challenge tests including a backwash cycle at least once a month should be conducted to ensure the proper operation of the interlock system, safety switch, sensors and alarms. There should be proper labeling of all components including tanks, feeders, pipes and direction of flow. Keep all signs, labels and placards up to date and legible. Consider using safety signs as reminders to take actions, such as evacuate the pool area under certain conditions. Staff should be trained on recognizing high-risk scenarios that could lead to chlorine gas exposure, including when circulation ceases, 
and when the electrical interlock and safety switch failure alert system is activated. It's best to prevent emergencies before they happen. OSHA hazard communication plan requirements should be followed, including developing an emergency action plan. Aquatic venues of all sizes are complex systems, but with a few precautions and adherence to critical safety measures, they can be extremely fun and safe. I don't understand why anybody would want to do this without some type of feeder in place because it makes it so much easier. It takes that task off your hands anyway. I get it when you go to the residential pool, but you know what? At residential pools, why not install automation? We install chlorine feeders, erosion feeders, right? That's the kind where you stack the tablets inside of it like a giant Pez dispenser. An erosion feeder for trichlor tablets, we use these in commercial facilities as well or at commercial facilities as well. If that's the type of chemical you're using, trichlor, that's your stabilized chlorine tablets. So these erosion feeders, they way they work is everything inside that chlorinator gets wet at the same time and it erodes the tablet. You control the flow of water through the feeder. The quicker the water, the faster the tablets erode, the higher the chlorine level goes. But it's important to know that as these operate, as these erode, the tablets get smaller, there's less surface area exposed, and the chlorine level will actually drop. So you're supposed to increase the water speed through these as the unit operates. I know nobody does that. We set it to a setting. We put the tablets in. We let it run. When we see the chlorine levels low, we add more tablets. That's fine. That's an erosion feeder. That's what that is. Some folks have a vacuum feed system set up. It's just a piece of pipe that fits into the plumbing, except it gets narrower toward the center, and then there's a smaller pipe that comes out, usually attached to a hose that goes into a big vat or barrel of whatever it is that you're adding to the pool. The way you control the dose here is by diluting what you have in the barrel until you get the correct result poolside. So PHTA calls it a vacuum chemical feed. I call it a Venturi feed. Either way, that's how that one works. Peristaltic pumps, those are the ones that you're more likely to see in the field if you're dealing with liquid chlorine. Those are the ones that you're going to see on your acid feed system. So if you're set up with ORP, and again, like we spoke about a couple of episodes ago, ORP is oxidation reduction potential. It is an indirect means of measuring chlorine. What it does is it actually measures the oxidizing capacity of the water. Chlorine affects the oxidizing capacity of the water. So indirectly, It is able to determine whether or not the water needs more chlorine by measuring the effect of the chlorine. This was a big deal a few years ago. If you guys remember back in 2016 with the Olympics in Brazil, a big thing in the news all over the place, the pool turned green. How embarrassing. The pool turns green. Had to be the most popular pool in the world that week. All eyes on that pool, 24 hours a day, millions of viewers, and it turns green. Here's the thing. The water in Brazil has a very high sulfide level. Because it has a high sulfide level, that means that it has an odor. It kind of tends to get that rotten egg smell. They're very well aware of this, the folks that are hosting this event, and they don't want anybody to have a bad experience. So 
to handle this, to be prepared for this, they make sure they have large quantities of hydrogen peroxide on, on site. Awesome. This pool, just like the pools we operate in the U.S., it's using liquid chlorine. It has an ORP sensor. It has peristaltic pumps on the system. It is a metering method of adding chlorine in when the ORP sees that it needs more. So we're good to go. That's how this pool is set up. And that's perfect. There's nothing wrong with this. This itself did not contribute to the problem. It was a couple of days into it when the Australian swim team started to complain that the pool had a musty odor. So the folks at the center in Brazil where the Olympics was being hosted reacted quick. They took that hydrogen peroxide and they dumped it into the pool and it oxidized the sulfide and the smell went away. Cool, right? But hydrogen peroxide is also a chlorine neutralizer. So in getting rid of the sulfides, they also got rid of all the chlorine that was in the water. No big deal. We got this ORP thing going on and it'll see that there's not enough chlorine in the water. So it'll tell the system to add more and it'll just start pumping it in, right? Wrong. Remember, ORP measures the oxidizing capacity of water, not the chlorine level. Chlorine affects the oxidizing capacity of the water. So by reading the effect, it can determine indirectly when it's time to add more. Guess what? also affects the oxidizing capacity of the water. Hydrogen peroxide! And they just dumped a ton of it in. So now they have a zero chlorine level in a pool that's sitting practically on the equator and a system that says, nah, we already have way too much chlorine. We're not putting any more in there. That's the official, unofficial truth behind the green pool at the 2016 Olympics in Brazil. Don't tell anybody I told you. Back to peristaltic pumps. The way these things work is they're actually motor-driven. They have a roller assembly that squeezes a flexible tube. As it squeezes the tube, it creates pressure, which in turn creates suction, which draws the liquid out of whatever vat you're storing it into and then pumps it into the water supply that sends it back out to the pool. And that's exactly how these systems work. That tubing that goes up inside and around that roller assembly that it presses against, plan on replacing that often. There are also diaphragm pumps out there. I don't know if you're going to see one of these or not. This is a unit that actually has check valves and a cam. As the cam rotates, it pushes against the flexible membrane that displaces fluid and then creates a vacuum inside the feeding housing, which then draws the liquid. Liquid vacuum induction feeders. I don't know if you're going to see these either. They're used for liquid chlorine. It's a Venturi type of injection. It creates a Venturi, which produces a vacuum, and then it actually pulls the liquid through a feeder and then injects it into a dedicated bypass line. And then that's how that gets into the circulation system somewhere downstream. We spoke about erosion feeders for trichlor. They also make erosion feeders for calcium hypochlorite tablets. These are a little bit different. Remember the erosion feeder for trichlor? All of the tablets that are in that erosion feeder get wet at the same time. An erosion feeder for calhypo is different. If all of the tablets got wet, what you'd end up with is one big gummy mess inside of that chlorinator. So instead, they use more of a bird bath style. They stack like a Pez, just like the erosion feeder for trichlor. The difference is only the bottom tablet gets wet. When the bottom tablet gets wet, it completely erodes, and then the stack drops. Another tablet gets wet, it erodes, then the stack drops. And then that just happens repeatedly until the system is out of tablets. 
Now, the cool thing about that is, is because every time a tablet disappears, we start out with a brand new whole tablet. That means that the surface area is only reduced temporarily, and we do get more of a consistent chlorine level because of it. Like I mentioned before, when we were talking about pH control, same setup with the peristaltic pumps as we talked about with liquid chlorine. That's exactly the same setup we're looking at here. We don't see a lot of chlorine gas anymore. Good riddance. Too dangerous. Too risky. So folks have gotten away from that. Those systems were injection-fed. That's how we got the gas into the system. We don't see a lot of chlorine gas out there anymore. It is still out there, but we do see a lot of CO2. And remember, we spoke about in one of the other episodes that CO2 was used for pH control. When carbon dioxide hits the water, it forms carbonic acid. That ultimately dissociates into hydrogen and bicarbonate. The hydrogen contributes to the hydrogen ion activity in the water. We know pH is a measurement of hydrogen ion activity measured in the converse. So that hydrogen ion we get from the carbonic acid lowers the pH. The bicarbonate, what does bicarb do? The bicarbonate increases the total alkalinity. So CO2 injection is the only method of pH control that will actually lower the pH, but increase the total alkalinity. So that's all I have for you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Listen, if you get a chance to check out those shows and attend those shows that I mentioned, I would love to see you. Again, that's October 5th in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Aqua Live Show. October 12th through the 14th, I'll be at the World Aquatic Health Conference in Houston, Texas. And then February 12th, I'll be at the AOAP Conference, and that's in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Until next Thursday, be good, be safe. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 